look at uh, two scripture readings today. First one's Luke 24, 44 to 47. Then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And the repentance and the remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And then Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. Thanks, man. Good job. Sweet. I'm going to move these over here. My wife always is afraid I'm going to smack her when I'm so animated with all my hand motions, but um, haven't done that yet. Anyway, Welcome. I'm excited about this. You know, at the beginning of the year, it's a good time to kind of set some goals. To be people kind of do that. Uh, remember, by January 19th, everyone has just forgotten all their New Year's resolutions. But we still have time. You know, we've got about nine days anyway. So we're gonna we're gonna take just today. We're gonna go over our our values as a church. It's gonna set our direction. I am actually excited about January 22nd. It's our our time where we get together during our 11 o'clock and we share our, our vision, our direction, what God's doing, and, and that's just a good family time to, uh, to do that. And so we'll be talking about our values then, but um, so today we're just going to be going over our values, and hopefully these are the values that, that resonate with you as, as a disciple, and so um, that's what we're going to do. My first question is, why are we here? What are we doing, you know? And um, we are here to make disciples, right? It's hard to make a disciple if you're not a disciple, And so we want to be disciples. What does that mean? It simply means a follower of Jesus. But as my Hebrew teacher used to say, cuidados, amigo. (laughs) He he would say that anytime something was tricky. Anyway, um, everybody is always making disciples. You're like, wait, what? Yeah, everybody is always pointing to someone or something saying that's where you get life, meaning, and joy. It could be a, a bicycle or a Ford F-150 or a 401K or a cabin in Aspen or whatever it may be. So we want to make sure we're pointing to Jesus saying he is where we find life, meaning, joy, and purpose. Okay, that's so, so we're, because in scripture, the, the Pharisees said, and they were proud of it, we're disciples of Moses. So there's disciples of a whole bunch of different people, and we want to make sure we're disciples of Jesus. So this, this is my pyramid scheme. I've shown that to you in the past. Um, knowing God, experiencing grace and forgiveness, growing in healthy relationships, impacting those near and far, uh, all, all of that is ultimately leading us to making uh, disciples. And so that's what we want, want to do. So Jesus, Jesus is in his culture telling the Pharisees and everybody Leave Moses and follow me. It's a hard sell because he's saying, leave Moses and follow me. The, the kid that, yeah, I grew up in Nazareth down the road. You saw me skipping stones on the brook when I was, you know, eight and this and that. 
yeah, follow me, the, the, the rabbi with 12 kind of reject disciples that couldn't cut it for the real rabbis, but they're with me, so follow me. The, the, the rabbi that was expected to conquer Rome and, and confront the Jewish establishment, but instead was tried as a criminal, crucified as a terrorist with other terrorists on the cross. The worst humiliation anyone could experience in the world. So Jesus was not simply saying, follow me, I've got a club and it's nice. Following him, there was a cost to it. And, and in this culture, they knew that cost. And that's why I, I, I've said this before, but um, the ending of Mark is so bad. If you're, if you're into literary structure and style, the way, the way Mark ends is, in fact, it's so bad, people throughout history have added verses to the end of it to fix it. That's why in your Bible it'll say, like, after verse 9 or 8 or 9, there's really nothing. Anyway, here's, here's the ending of Mark. So they're at the tomb, and, and the tomb's empty. The angel says, um, but go, tell his disciples and Peter, I'll get to that later, Tell his disciples and also Peter that he is gone. He is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The end. Awkward and weird. The point is, yeah, if you get it in this first century, your embracement of Jesus as the Messiah is going to set you completely at odds with everything in your Roman culture. And they figured that out, and they're like afraid. And so that's, that's interesting. But I'm not going to preach on Mark today, so we'll go on. All right. So the Bible we read, I showed you this last week, uh, over 1,500 years, 66 books, 40 different men and women wrote it on that, that who lived in 12 cultures on three different continents, three different languages, Two covenants, old and new. That part's easy. Yet one central theme, the theme is God created us. He loves us despite our sin. He is seeking us out to forgive us through his sacrifice through God's son, Jesus. So that, that is amazing. You ever play the telephone game? You know, you get 12 people in a circle and you whisper something and it comes back just hilarious. Try this, 1,500 years, you know, 66 different books, 40 people without contradictions pretty good deal. All right. Spirit of God is behind that. So uh, the Bible is important, and that's why we are a Bible church, right? This is Grace Life Bible Church. This is, this is, these are our values. You see these in the newsletter, you know, knowing God. And, and so this is kind of what we're doing, and, and I just want to make sure that we understand. We all probably want to experience grace, grow in grace, and impact others in grace. And the deal is we're not going to be able to do that without knowing a lot of people run around trying to experience grace and do this and do that, but, but if they don't start with a foundation in God's Word and understand God as He really is, they're just kind of running around doing spiritual-looking stuff and, uh, and they get exhausted in the flesh. And so we want to make sure we start 2023 grounded in God's Word and that whatever we do with experiencing grace and our relationships comes from a fullness of God's grace and not just our own, you know, masks, okay? So um, we're not into masks here. We have, uh, we have room to be authentic. And that's scary, but it's good. All right, so here's a quiz for you. Ready for a quiz? Is the Bible a means or an end? 
um, a means or an end. Well, what does the Bible get you? I mean, if you have the Bible, you read the Bible, like what, what are you, what could you, I'll read the Bible in order to get a better, better marriage. Maybe that may, might work out that way. It depends how you use what you read. What about uh, get more money? I'm going to be, get the Bible and, and get more money. Well, probably not, but maybe in Proverbs, it, it might, you know, prevent you from buying a really bad used car. I don't know. Um, success. Maybe you have, maybe I'll read the Bible. I'll go to church to be successful. And then you read about all the disciples that are killed. And you're like, well, it doesn't seem to follow. So is the Bible a means or is it an end? If the Bible is an end, some people treat the Bible as an end. Like that's just, that's it. You know, they, they geek out about verb tenses and chiastic structures and all this kind of stuff. And, and it's just like, wow, this is great. You know, you go to their den in their basement and they've got all these genealogy charts. And anyway, um, okay, well, it's good to study. But, you know, what, what does Jesus say? about the Bible. Is it a means or an end? I've, I've said this many times. Hopefully, you can quote it with me. Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees, and he says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And yet these scriptures bear witness about me, and you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. Jesus seems to say that scripture is a means to, God, to finding life in him. Okay, so that's, that's fascinating, right? Um, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, in fact, top three, if I could get a time machine, one of my top three stops is the road to Emmaus, Luke 24. These two guys are walking around. It could be a guy and his wife, you don't know, but anyway, two people are walking, disciples, and, and, um, and just the, the way the conversation goes is, is, is hilarious. Luke 24, I, I don't have time to get into it, otherwise I'll preach on that today by mistake, but anyway... Um, they're talking, and they're disappointed, and Jesus is like, well, hey, what's up? What's, what's going on? And, and they stop, and they turn to Jesus, God in the flesh, and say, are you the only one that doesn't know what's going on? Do you feel the weight of that? It's like, anyway. And, um, and so, and, and then he, he, um, he finally reveals himself, and he says, oh, foolish men, and slow of heart to believe, and all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and enter into glory? Then beginning with Moses, which means the Pentateuch, the first five books, and all the prophets, he explained to them concerning himself in all the scriptures. A couple of verses later, it says that he, um, while, while I was still with you, he explained all the things concerning about me and the law, Moses, the prophets, and Psalms, which is the entire Old Testament. I mean, do you... Don't you wonder if, if we've completely missed some passages of Scripture that clearly Jesus says point to me? And, and if, you know, if you have a time machine, your top three stops, you could go here and you could hear it and you'd be like, what? Are you kidding me? That? I don't know. Maybe not. But still, that's fascinating that Jesus, Jesus seems to think that most Scripture points to him. So the Pentateuch, history, prophecy, even Psalms and, and poetry uh, in the New Testament, it, it all leads to Jesus. I've said this before. I'm trying to be very precise. Um, any passage of Scripture or every passage of Scripture is not about Jesus, but every passage of Scripture leads to Jesus, okay, in, in, in that sense that at Genesis 3, you have sin, and every page of Scripture after Genesis 3 is leading us to the Messiah, in order to have a Messiah, you have to have a nation. In order to have a nation, you have to have land. In order to have land, in the case of Joshua land, it's just the whole story of getting, getting the people of God in a place where they're stable enough to produce the Messiah to solve sin. So without sin, the Bible would be three chapters, right? Genesis 1, 
2 and Revelation 20 or whatever, last chapter. Anyway, but we have sin, so we have a lot of Scripture. All right, anyway, Jesus seems to be uh, both a means and an end. So here we go. Um, let's take a look. I'm going to shift gears here and take a look at our values through the life of Peter. Um, this is good timing because I know uh, Larry in 11 o'clock is going through Peter, and um, that's been a good class, and so you can a little overlap here. But first off, knowing, knowing God and his word. Um, it's interesting that it was hard, apparently, to tune in to who God was, who Jesus was, and why he was there. As you read the New Testament, and it just seems that the people just didn't quite get it. I just read this last week some, someplace in the gospel about Nathaniel. And I love Nathaniel because he seems to be pretty easy to convince. The story is he's sitting under a tree. Jesus saw him, and then, and then he, and hey, come, I, I, you know, we found the Messiah, and, and he's from Nazareth, and, and, and um, can anything good? And, and then Jesus sees him, and he's like, hey, Nathaniel, I saw you under the tree. Behold, you are the Son of God. And Jesus is like, that's it? I mean, just because I saw you under the tree, you believe? <laughs> Seriously, it's just kind of funny. Anyway, um, my point behind that is Nathaniel seems to have got it pretty quickly. Other people take a long, long time. So Peter seems to be a take-a-long-time kind of guy to, to figure it out. So first Peter was called, uh, he was fishing. And in that culture, if, if you, most every young male would want to gravitate to be a disciple of a rabbi. And if, you, if you're fishing and, and you're, old enough to maybe be a, a, a follower of a rabbi, that means you, you didn't make the cut for following a rabbi, and so you're fishing. So right off the bat, the fact that these guys are fishing means that they didn't make the cut. They, they have to fish because they couldn't find a rabbi to follow, okay? So um, follow me, Jesus says. And, and do you understand if, you, if you've tried out for the team, you get cut, you go back to fishing, and here comes another rabbi that just says, you follow me. You're like, I'm going. Are you kidding me? I get another shot. At fo- That's why they just drop everything and they're gone. And dad would be so proud. My sons, they're following a rabbi. They're not fishing with me anymore. Anyway, so that, that whole cultural background. And so follow me, and they, follow, they, they left their nets and followed him immediately. And later on, you know, um, walking on the water, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to walk in the water. And he, he just jumps on the water and starts walking, and then he gets afraid. Um, Peter says um, the little parable about what defiles you. Is it what you eat or, or something outside? And Jesus is teaching this, and Peter says, explain the parable to us. And Jesus, possible, I roll. Are you still without understanding? Okay, and he explains that. Um, later on, you know, Jesus says in, in Matthew 16, he began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed, and on the third day rise again, and Peter takes him aside to rebuke him. He, he doesn't quite, he's not on the same page, all right? Uh, at the transfiguration, Peter's like, this is great, let's build tents. Have a party, and, and Jesus like, that's not quite, well, no, that's not what I'm doing. And then forgiving others. Peter's like, I'll be super spiritual. I'll suggest, should we forgive seven times? Like, wow, that's so generous. And Jesus is like, yeah, 70 times seven, like just never ending. So he doesn't quite understand where Jesus is coming from until the very end when he says, Jesus is like, hey, you're going to deny me. He's like, no, I'm not. I, 
I haven't learned much in life, but I, I've learned that arguing with God, I, I, I usually don't win that one. Like, never. So, okay, so Peter seems to understand that Jesus is the Son of God, but not really understanding why he's there. And this is the deal. Without an understanding of, of God and his word about the Messiah, he is allowing his culture to shape his understanding of Jesus and what Jesus is seeking to do in his culture. Do we, because we don't understand God as he is, and, and maybe we allow our culture, the pressures of our culture, to shape the Messiah, we can do the same thing. So it's so important that we start with God's word and, um, and we march forward from there. So who is shaping your understanding of God? Is it, is it scripture? Is it tradition? Is it, is it cultural hotspots? Next week, we're going to be starting a series on the Old Testament, Old Testament survey. And, and um, the first couple of weeks, somewhere in there, we're going to be talking about evolution and, and how um, evolution is a great example of how we get something in our head and we cannot read Scripture without that grid. And we start to think that, I think Moses was fighting evolution. And I'm like, yeah, that's not on their radar. So what is Moses saying in Genesis 1 and 2? Okay, we're, we're gonna, we want to read Scripture. I thought about titling next week's sermon, like, How Not to Read the Bible. It's kind of negative, and, and I, I heard you're not supposed to do that. So I'll come up with another title. But basically, just we want to read Scripture straight up as it is and let it take us where we want to go. That's next week, so let's get back here. So um, if we don't understand God and his word, we may misunderstand who he is, what he's doing in our life, culture, and relationships. So here's a test. How do you respond when God doesn't answer your prayers? That's a really good test to show, am I, am I following Jesus because I want something from him? Or am I just following him because he's good? I mean, I, I know someone right now that, that uh, God didn't answer prayers and um, hit the eject button, just left, left the faith because didn't answer my prayers. And, and, and I'm not belittling the, the pain of, of, of answering prayers, but it's just a good test. How do you respond when your prayers are not answered or answered in a way that you don't want? Um, are you open to asking, Lord, what are you doing in my life and relationships through this situation, the pain? And clearly I see this should happen, and yet you allow this to happen. So we want to make sure we're, we're following, following him. And we want to read Scripture as it was, it was written to the original audience, not as we, as we make it up to be. Okay, so knowing, uh, let's go to the second one, experiencing. So we experience grace and forgiveness. Um, Peter seems to have seen some grace through the stories and parables, seeing other people being forgiven. But if he doesn't really seem to experience it personally in a deep and profound way until his... his, uh, his um, conversation with Christ about being forgiven, all right? So the key to understanding God's grace is to understand his word and the character of God as you move forward. And so here, this I read this before, but check this verse out, and there's something here that just, it's in bold, or whatever, capitals, big letters, important. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. Okay, stop right there. Do you understand what's going on? And Peter. Why, why does it say and Peter? Because Peter's different than the disciples. If Peter was included in the disciples, you wouldn't need and Peter. 
you say, go tell the disciples. But Peter is no longer a disciple. He quit. He left. He went back to fishing. The angel knows this. He's like, hey, go tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus went on to Galilee just as he told you. They went out, fled the tomb, trembling, astonishment, all that. But, but, but and Peter is such a, such a clue. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess with you. And I, I went through this when we preached with Mark, about, about Mark. And so this, this might be new and a different way of thinking. So hang on and just consider it, okay? What's worse, to deny Jesus or betray him? And you're saying, can I have door number three? <laughs> oh, those are my only options. Okay, to deny Jesus or betray him. Here's what I think is going on in Scripture. You can betray your rabbi without denying him, but you cannot deny him without betraying him. Let me explain, all right? So many times I counted them. Um, it says when Judas is talked about, it's Judas the betrayer, Judas the betrayer. Ten times in Matthew, eight times in Mark, four in Luke, nine times in John. Judas the betrayer. Why is it so important that all of the gospel writers make sure you understand that Judas is the betrayer? Because in this culture, with the rabbi-disciple relationship, they're going to look at Peter as the betrayer. If you gave the gospels to some first century reader, and you stripped out some, some names and stuff, and you said, hey, there's, there's a betrayer in the story. Somebody, somebody betrayed uh, you know, the rabbi. Who is it? They would all pick Peter. And here's why. Because in this, in this culture, the, the, the rabbi-follower-disciple relationship was, I don't know, the, 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 the zenith, the, the highest point of that social-religious experience. And, and, and you, you just didn't deny your rabbi. You, 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 there's no coming back from rejecting and denying your rabbi. There's just, there, it's a dead end. That just never happens, and you cannot come back from that. But, um, but Judas, we you know Judas betrayed Jesus. And so here's, here's the, uh, we typically think of the kiss in the, you know, the, the, the Last Supper, and Jesus says, hey, you know, go do what you're going to do. So we typically read the kiss as like an, an evil, intentional, I'm turning you over and, and you're going to die. And I don't think that's what's going on. Judas had zealous, zealot leanings, which means he's militant and he wants to fight Rome and he wants his Messiah to overcome Rome, and most of them did. And so it seems possible that the kiss... Now, you've got to get inside Judas's mind. If, if Judas is a zealot and he's anticipating the Messiah to confront the, the, the Jewish leadership and confront Rome, um, and, and frankly, Judas is probably tired of all the spiritual mumbo-jumbo, turn the other cheek. He's like, let's fight. Let's just get to the chase, Jesus. Come on. And so when Jesus says, says to him at, at, the, at the dinner, go do what you're intending to do, Jesus and Judas are on completely different planets. Jesus knows he's marching to the cross, but Judas probably thinks, ah, he's finally given me a green light to start the fight, to, to set up Jesus in conflict, conflict with the Jewish leadership and then the, Rome, the Roman leadership. So he's like, this is sweet. So he goes out probably thinking, I am privileged enough to be the one to set the stage for this massive standoff. 
I'm going to give them Jesus. He's going to be right in their arena, and he will start to do his, his wizardry and wave the wands and do the magic and the miracles, and then he's going to overthrow Rome, and, and we'll all have power. We'll sit to his, ne- his right and left and all that, except that's not what happened, all right? So follow the text. After Judas betrayed Jesus, and he sees that Jesus didn't fight, it gets awkward, Judas changes his mind. Judas had a mental movie when he sets Jesus up there. This will happen, this will happen, this will happen, and that doesn't happen. And you and I have the same experience, not to that extent, right? But, but I mean, like we, we're like, if I follow Jesus, then this will happen. And my kids and my job and, and this and that, and then sometimes it doesn't happen. And that's a good test. When our expectations are, are not met, what does that mean about the nature of God and our walk with him? All right, so here, check this verse out. This is is fascinating right here. When Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind. And he brought back the 30 pieces of silver, saying, I've sinned, betraying innocent blood. They're like, whatever, go see it yourself. And he, throwing down the pieces of silver, departed, went, and hanged himself. So the fact that Judas changed his mind tells me that he has loyalty, friendship, love for Jesus. He doesn't hate him. He changed his mind. Something happened here that he wasn't expecting, and boom, a new understanding. So Judas never seems to have understood that Jesus meant exactly what he said. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to die at the hands of the chief priests and elders. I'm going to rise from the dead. What if Jesus actually meant everything he said? See, Judas understood that through the lens of, I'm going to fight Rome, and I'm going to conquer, and he changed his mind, which tells me when he kissed Jesus, he wasn't fully intending on events to transpire the way they did. He changed his mind. Interesting, isn't it? So, um, both Judas and, and Peter, and back up. There we go. Both Judas and Peter were wrong. It's sad because Judas, he, he, he's wrong, and he, he kills himself. He chose to end his life there. Peter's wrong, but Peter chose to, to live every day in depression, darkness, and rejection. Go tell the disciples, oh, and Peter, who quit. He left. He's no longer identifying as a disciple. He took himself off the playing table. All right? So Peter chose to live with his past defining him. We talked about that last week. You know, we, we have to look at the past, but we don't want to let it define us. And he is living in the past, the failure, the rejection, and he is uh, wallowing in that until there's a beach and he's in the boat and he sees a lone figure and there's, there's a campfire and smoke. And, and if you remember in the courtyard where Peter denies Jesus not once, twice, three times, John is very clear. John writes like, like John would be a great movie producer because John writes, it was night, it was cold, the fire was warm, and you get all these, these, these descriptors, okay? So, um, but, but it's, it's out of fire that Peter denies Jesus, and it's out of fire that Jesus welcomes Peter back on the beach. Okay, Parenthetical thought. I love it that, that our God in the flesh is an outdoor kind of guy. He can make a fire. That's just cool, all right? Anyway, so he makes the fire. He cooks the fish, and he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you, you know, feed my, 
my lambs, tend my sheep. And three times, seemingly, one for each of his denials, in front of everybody else, he's like, welcome back, Peter. Hey, guys, come here. Disciples, Peter, come on back. You get, you get it? See what I'm doing here, guys? Come on back. He's, he's back. And that grace and that forgiveness is powerful. And you think, after Peter experienced this, that had to be a life-changing moment. He's like, wow, I've never experienced grace like that, but I'm getting it, okay? So um, what does that mean to us? Wherever we have been, wherever we will be, there is always the open arms of our Savior chasing us down. Think of the prodigal son. Maybe, maybe you haven't read your Bible for a while. I would encourage you to just Google prodigal son. It's somewhere in Luke, and just read that over and over. It's pretty short, and it is just one of the best pieces of literature ever written. It's just so many layers. Just read that maybe once a day for this whole week, and that, that's going to change your view of who God is. He is welcoming you back, and um, we're... we're um, he welcomes us back as we are, not as he wants us to be, okay? So you don't have to first go clean your life up, start this and stop that before you can sit down in the presence of God. It's scary to be authentic, but you can take your masks off in the presence of God. He knows anyway, all right? I'm just saying, you know, um, and just like, Lord, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm frustrated about. This is why I, I don't like church, Bible, Christians, or whatever, and just lay it out. Half of Psalms are that kind of stuff with David. Like, well, how come this is happening? How come that's happening? Just lay it out there and then receive his comfort, okay? Receive his comforting. But, but this is where I was going with this. Uh, we we want to take the masks off. And uh, this is the book we're starting in our men's study Tuesday. This Tuesday, 7 o'clock, I'm actually going to come to this one. I forgot to go to the last one. I felt so bad. I was at home. The phone rings like, oh, I forgot. Anyway, so when I talk about receiving your grace, I really mean it, right? It's a two-way street. Anyway, I'm going to show up to this one, and it's a good book. And um, the, basic, the basic thing is, what if God isn't who he thinks what if God isn't who you think he is and you aren't either, okay? The, the basic difference, this is the kind of an allegory of two roads, trying hard to please God, um, be all God wants you to be, or trusting God, living out of who God says you are, and that is a profound thing that will probably take the rest of our lives to mostly not completely figure out. Anyway, that's what we're going to be uh, digging into here, and I'm excited about that. So, number three, growing in grace. Now, let's get into this... Um, Peter is forgiven. He, he, he sins egregiously by denying his Messiah, his, his rabbi. And in that culture, that's a dead end. There's no way to come back. Meanwhile, Judas betrays him. And, and I don't think I painted this well enough. In that culture, every person would look at Judas and go, well, yeah, he was trying to serve his rabbi. He was wrong. But he was doing what he thought his rabbi wanted. He thought his rabbi wanted a fight, and so he's helping his rabbi get a fight. So people would say, well, yeah, I mean, it's not Judas who is the betrayer. He's just, he was wrong, but he's just trying to advance the cause. And meanwhile, everyone's looking at Peter going, well, he just, he just quit. So Judas, the betrayer, okay. Um, moving on. After, after Peter then is reinstituted on the beach among the smoke fire and his his clothes smell like smoke, and I have to wonder after, after that moment, every time he smells a campfire, what does Peter remember? He's like, oh, it was night, it was cold, there was a fire, I betrayed Jesus, and I wept. And then 
there was a fire, and Jesus three times forgave me, forgave me, forgave me, and wel- welcomed him back and, and extended that love and grace. So that's, that's a powerful, powerful thing. And it's not a bad token, a, a, a memorial. Remember in Joshua, they piled up piles of stones all over the place as a memorial? Um, do you have a memorial to remember what God has done for you? And so perhaps Peter, it was a smell of smoke. He, you know, he smells smoke, and he's got all these stories behind him. What, what is it to you that you have something that, that you can, it triggers the good memories of God's grace? I think I told you in the past, my dad, he wrote a lot, and, and um, he had a document called God's Grace in Our Lives. And he just, just kind of one, two-line things going back to 19-whatever, just about how he saw God's grace in his life. Down to weird stuff like he's hitchhiking in California because he had one car, and every day he hitchhiked, and he's going to, he's going to school at Cal Davis. He, he wanted to be a, um, an ag teacher in like high school. And one guy, some, a guy picks him up, and he's like, oh, what are you doing? I'm going to do this. And the guy's like, oh, you don't want to do that. You want to go into ag econ, uh, economic research. And he told him all why, and so my dad switches majors. I'm like, are you kidding me? Some hitchhiking guy was like an angel? I don't know. Anyway, and so he, but he had full of these weird stories that God's grace just sort of like guided him around. And, and um, it's not a bad idea to spend some time thinking about how God's grace has been evident in your life. And, and, and I think for Peter, smoke, not smoking, it's a different thing. Campfire smoke would probably be one of those things that triggered him. But here's a question for you. What would happen in your relationships if you extended grace to those around you the same way that Jesus extended grace to Peter after Peter denied him? What, what would that do to our relationships? And, and uh, now remember, Peter denies Jesus, and Jesus comes back and welcomes him back. Are, can, can, you, can you absorb the emotional hit the emotional pain of some kind of defection like that and still respond with grace, that's going to only come if you're grounded and knowing the God as he is and, and you're living in his grace and you experience it, you extend it. You see what I'm saying? It's a full package deal. So um, there we go. The last one, impacting those far and near. So for Peter, it seems to be a personal transformation that's fueling everything about him. Um, up, up until the resurrection, he seems to be trying to patch it together and doing this and doing that and not really getting it. But the personal transformation and your life story of personal transformation is, is one of the best apologetic tools that you can get. Who can argue with that? Before I met Christ, I was this way. After I met Christ, I'm this way. That's my story. No one can say, that's not true. That's my story. Your story, my story, is one of the best places to start that, okay? Um, But before the transformation of Peter, um, he's kind of confused. But after the transformation of Peter, he's a whole different guy, all right? In Acts 4, um, he blasts back with John, well, because they say, like, you know, you can't do this. Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him? Whoa. He doesn't seem to lack, lack clarity. Acts 5. they like, shut up. You can't preach in Jesus' name. We must obey God rather than human beings. Oh, where does he get that confidence? That's interesting. 
Acts 5.27, this is amazing. This is just crazy. This is the same guy that was intimidated by a teenage girl by the campfire. Same guy. When they had brought them in, they set them before the council, which is the Sanhedrin, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, and yet here you are. You fill Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us, which is a big deal. The council is the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, these are the people that kill people, seriously, if they disagree with them. And for proof of that, remember, Jesus up in the north by Galilee, three years debating with the Pharisees. Three, two or three times the Pharisees tried to save his life. They're like, hey, Herod's looking for you, this and that. Comes down to Jerusalem, and in seven days, he's dead. That's the Sanhedrin for you, okay? The verse goes on. But Peter... And the apostles said, we must obey God rather than men. And he doesn't just stop there. He says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. Now, hanging on a tree is code for that whole Deuteronomy concept of of, of a criminal and shame. And and so he's, he's almost implying that you don't know the law and he shouldn't been on a tree. And it, so, so there's a deeper theological accusation behind that simple phrase, hang on a tree. Okay, But look at this. I mean, months ago, he's, he's afraid of a teenage girl by a campfire. Now he's, he's squaring off with the, the Sanhedrin who can kill him. In fact, if you are watching this movie, you're like, oh, man, he's not going to last long. Because, you know, you look at movies and you're like, okay, here's the guy. It's like, oh, he's going to die. You know what I mean? In this movie, you're like, well, Peter's going to die. But he doesn't. So, but, but still, this courage. is. Where does he get this courage? Where does he get this boldness? He kept his eyes on Jesus. Uh, Hebrews. Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance and keep our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. When we run, we need endurance. It's a long race. We have one goal. It's Jesus. And if we keep our eyes on Jesus, all of Scripture leads us to him. We keep our eyes on him. We can run with endurance. And we can develop courage because we know what we're about and we know what he's about. But it all starts with knowing the God of Scripture as he has revealed himself, taking our masks off and, led, and, and, and bringing him into us as we really are, all the junk. Say, Lord, I welcome you in with all the junk and, um, and walking in that grace, extending it to others. So we all fail. We all have failed. We all will fail. And, and um, like Peter, the fire is lit on the beach, and Jesus will welcome us back if we just go to him, right? He has given us freedom to run away from him. You can stay in the boat, fire up the engine, and go 180 away and just leave, and you can distance yourself from Jesus and anger and pity and self, all this kind of stuff. But he is on the beach waving you in, come to me and receive forgiveness, receive reinstitution. And um, there, I know it's complicated when we're in those moments. There's all these emo- emotions. are the craziest thing, right? Um, you ever watch Star Trek with Data? You know, he, he, he doesn't have any emotion. He gets that emotion chip in him. This is the old next generation. He just goes crazy with emotions. Anyway, um, so... We need God to sanctify those as well. So we've all failed, and we will fail again, but here's the deal. If you want to experience God's grace, to grow in grace, impact others in grace, 
we, we really have to start with knowing God and his word. And so that's why we're going to start with the Old Testament. We're going to go through here. And I'm going to, going, to, going to uncover some ways that we should not read God's word, some ways that people in our culture, this is kind of how they approach it and, and how it's damaging and it's not leading us to what we're supposed to see. Because, uh, you know, a lot of people have read God's word and do crazy things. So it's not as simple as, oh, read the Bible and all will be well. No, it's not that simple. We need to read the Bible a certain way understanding the author's intent, okay, and, and not just make our own stuff up. You know you're in trouble if someone says, well, I was reading Romans 8, and, and to me it means this. I'm like, I don't care what it means to you. I mean, does it mean something to you? It means different? We're just making this up? What is this, right? It's, it's like what, what, there's one meaning and many applications. We want to get that straight. So we are excited to, to value and prioritize God's word. And honestly, sometimes we're reading God's word and it introduces something, um, a topic, um, maybe a theological principle in, in a way that we didn't grow up with and we're then faced with attention. It's like, well, I, I always thought this, but is scripture saying this? And I welcome those moments. I welcome the moments of challenging what I believe. I uh, I want to submit to the text, right? I, w- I want to let it take me to where it needs to take me and not have all my rigid categories and, and, and force it to meet my rigid categories, okay? And I'm not saying everything's a free-for-all. I'm just saying that, that we need to be careful with how we approach Scripture because if we base our lives on this, we might get it right, okay? So we read, that's, that's, this is not our Bible with the dust, not our Bible. Maybe you're making bread and you had the, the grinder and this, this, it, that's probably it. You had just read it and you got flour dust all over it. I'm sure that's it. Okay. Anyway, this is a friend. A friend Thomas told me this a while ago. He said, if you want something you've never had, you have to be willing to do something you've never done. Do you want grace in your life? Do you want more? experiencing grace, forgiveness? Do you want your relationships to grow in grace and be founded in grace? You're probably going to have to do something different. And I would submit to you that difference is going to be reading God's word. And I would really encourage you to just read a gospel. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the perfect representation of God. So if you want to know what God is like, you read the gospels, you see Jesus doing stuff, and that's God. That's the heart of God. It's a great place to start, okay? If you end up in the Old Testament and you get confused, email me. I can help you out with that. But, but the Gospels are, are kind of straight up and encouraging. And so um, another 2023 challenge. What would it be for you this next year that's new? I mean, if you want something you've never had, what, what do I do that I've never done? I mean, is there, is there, there's a connection there, okay? Um, and so here are some questions for us. We always like to end by thinking, uh, there's a lot here, but let me walk you through this. Do you want to experience grace, forgiveness, grow in healthy relationship, impacting others from grace and not anger and manipulation? Is the Bible a means or an end to you? Are, are you willing to go to Scripture and find a personal relationship with Jesus? And most of us have that here, not guaranteed just because you walked in the door. But are you willing to let your use of Scripture lead you in that day, in that moment, to a vibrant walk with Jesus? And then third, what would happen if you extended the same kind of grace to others that Jesus extended to Peter after he denied him? So these are some questions. Just want to invite you to think 
Don's going to play a little bit here, and this is kind of what we do here. We just end by thinking. Um, not a lot of time in our world and culture to do that, and so we value that, and we just, we just invite Jesus. I'll just close in prayer here. Lord, thank you for loving us, even on our worst day. Thank you, like the picture of the prodigal son. You, you run outside of town to meet us in the country before we even get home with open arms, with love, and you want to throw a party. And uh, you know all about the squandering of wealth and the stupid stuff that we've done, and that doesn't dampen your love for us. And so we're grateful for you, for your love. We want to experience grace, more grace in our relationships. We know that's going to come from an understanding of you and your word. And so I pray that as we get into it, you would you'd be so kind as to, to bless us with your spirit, uh, a clear understanding of our motives. Your word pierces our, our intents of our hearts. Uh, we just give ourselves to you and are excited about what you're going to do in 2023. Amen.